chair or even chaired a committee. That guy is essentially flying by the seat of his pants, is going to have to unite this unruly conference into something that can legislate. And as Democratic Congressman Sean Kasten noted on the House floor this week, it's not going great. As you know, we operate on a September 30th fiscal year, and here we are 39 days later, and the majority has yet to even propose a way to keep the government open. The last September, I uh, kicked the can down the road, kept the government open for 45 days, and in the words of Mr. Santos, that made you all big mad. So you fired your speaker. Now you have a new speaker, but a lot of you are still big mad. So instead of working, we are sitting here this week debating nonsense. So today, we are voting on a bill that would defund the ability of regulators to develop consistent climate accounting rules instead of doing the work of the people. Mr. Speaker, science is real. We have real challenges and happy saturday and welcome to the deal i'm your host ed clark it is saturday november 11 2023 and the year is nearly over and uh i see all the christmas decorations going up and whatnot uh <laughs> thanksgiving is only uh, a little bit away but today is veterans day and we have a real life veteran with us, <laughs> Val Atkinson. Hey, Val, happy Veterans Day. Thank you so much, Ed. And uh, I want to say happy Veterans Day to all my fellow veterans out there, wherever you may be. Yeah, and I really do mean thank you for your service. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the the military has been an odd place in American history. Uh, African-Americans have always overrepresented themselves, uh, served the nation through every conflict including the very first one, the Revolutionary War. The first person killed was a black man, Crispus Attucks. There's no dispute about that. But there's been heroes in every conflict. Uh, and then uh, most black families have somebody who served in in the major conflicts. And that can't be said about everybody. And I, I, I'll just leave it at that. And right now, currently, uh, only 1% of the population, Val, is uh, serving in the military. So you get a lot of people who are sycophantic, who wave the flag and talk about the military or whatever and, and don't really care about them. But we'll save that for a different discussion. <laughs> what I want to talk about right off the bat today, Val, is the budget deadline is looming. And on the way in, uh, in the introduction, you saw the new speaker, Mike Johnson, uh, and his shenanigans. Uh, Mike Johnson, uh, we talked a little bit about last week was a backbencher from Louisiana, uh, but he was an election denier. He has a, a mystery black son uh, that apparently appeared this week in court in L.A. <laughs> with some criminal charges. We'll talk about that later when we talk about Mike Johnson. But I want to talk about the budget deadline, Val. The 17th of November is the deadline. There's a meeting going on as we're recording this with the White House and Mike Johnson. Uh, and... Uh, Here's here's an easy question for you. Will there be a budget deal by November 17th? I believe it will, Ed. Uh, I think it'll be something that uh, the GOP has just got to bite their lip and let it go through. Uh, I think they'll find out that the American public is not that naive that they can shut down the government and the public will blame the Democrats because that's what they are hoping for. Uh, Matt Gates and those kind of people are thinking, well, we shut down the government and we'll say it's Biden's fault. And that may be worth a few thousand votes for Donald Trump. 
it's not going to work that way. And once people see it's not going to work that way uh, and see the harm that it's going to cause to the uh, American economy and the overall budget, they'll make calls and they'll do the right thing and they'll get the right people in the room to say, hey, let's cut out this shenanigans and let's go to the right place and let's make sure we have a budget. Uh, let's do the CR like it's supposed to be done. And if we want to put another date on it like we did earlier, uh, 60 day, 90 day or whatever, let's do that. But let's keep things going. So in that respect, I do think that there will be some type of resolution. I don't I don't think that the Republicans are that stupid that they would let uh, things go into fault. I can't remember which uh, credit agency it was. I believe it was Moody's. Moody's, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Moody's who already said that, hey, you know, things don't look good for you guys. Uh, and if we start continuing to get bad credit ratings, you know, what, what bad credit ratings do, it hikes up the interest. It's just like for us as individuals. You got bad credit. You're going to pay more for a car than I am if I got good credit in the long run in terms of how much interest you pay of what your interest rate is. That makes you pay your monthly payments are going to be higher than mine because they're afraid they won't get their money back, at least on time. Uh, so it's just too much to even contemplate. Uh, people are already talking about inflation and the affordability and kids being poorer than the parents and on and on and on. Uh, this is stupidity. This is something that can be avoided. Uh, we are letting politics get in the way of our morality. So, and it should be the other way around. Yeah. Well, you know, Val, the other piece of this is the current speaker, Mike Johnson. He's following up on Kevin McCarthy, who was displaced because he did cut a deal with Joe Biden. Uh, so uh, earlier this week, uh, the uh, uh, Republicans, or spe specifically Mike Johnson, talked about this whole notion of what they called a laddered CR, where he was going to split it up in chunks, right, and, uh, and allow the government to continue working, uh, you know, in 12 different chunks here and, and do multiple short-term CRs. And he didn't get any support from the Republicans and he wasn't getting any support from the Democrats. Nobody was happy about what that whole idea of multiple short-term CRs uh, being a viable solution to this. And, and the reason for that is uh, it makes no sense. And, and, and there was nobody, they, we've never tried it before. Uh, the, the 17th is the deadline. It needs to be addressed, so on and so forth. So, Val, th this uh, whole idea of these laddered CRs, I, I think you had a different term for it. You know, what, what, were, what was Mike Johnson trying to do when, you know, proposing this sort of stepped, you know, multi-pronged CR approach? What I said, it was is that is uh, Mike Johnson's way of having a line item veto. That what a line item veto is when you can go in and pick out a particular item in the budget and said, no, I don't want that. Uh, but I'll take these two over here, and I don't want that one. Presidents have gone to Congress and asked for Reagan asked for it, and he thought he was going to get it, a line item veto, and none of them have ever gotten it. You don't have a choice to go in and pick out the parts of the budget that you want and you like and you don't like. You, you approve the entire budget we send you, or you send us something different. Uh, and uh, that's what Johnson is 
hoping those around him hoping that he could do to say that we won't have a CR on Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, but we will have a CR on the defense budget and we'll have a CR on something else. Now, you, you can't pick and choose that way. And he knows yeah. that, but he's trying to use it for a political advantage to be able to say, we are still after those things that my constituents likes. And we still want to block those things that the other guys want. Yeah, and but it's not going to happen. It, it doesn't look like anybody's following along with it because one of the hills they were willing to die on this week, Val, was that uh, they were trying to hold up things over a bill that said that uh, in the District of Columbia, employers could fire somebody if they were using contraceptives. And, and, and uh, because we know one thing about Mike Johnson is that he is to the far right. He's working on issues like ending abortion rights. And one of the things that he talked about throughout his career was eliminating abortion and contraceptive services altogether. Uh, his his, his accountability buddy uh, uh, to keep him from watching porn is his 17-year-old son. Uh, I don't know if you saw this story this week about uh, Mike Johnson's accountability buddy, but let's take a look at With covenant eyes within your home. And so uh, why is that such an effective tool? Why do parents need to put this into their home? Yeah, that's a great, great uh, question. We, we probably could have called this more appropriately a war on the darkness of technology because there are some good things with technology, of course. I mean, you know, the Bible apps we all love, we, we broadcast our services, you know, on our social media, and, and there's some very positive things, but there's also, as Clint's pointed out aptly, some really dark things. So Covenant Eyes is the software that I, I we've been using a long time in our household. Uh, I was I first learned about it at, I think, a Promise Keepers event in the early 2000s. I think it was developed in about the year 2000. Uh, but it's the largest um, accountability software that there is, and, and there's some paperwork out there on the table that I think everybody may have picked up on the way in. If not, go get it. I, it's a subscription-based, I mean, we don't make any money on this. I'm telling you, I, we use it, okay? I, they're not, I'm, not in, I'm endorsing it because I'm a user. Uh, it's about $15 a month, $16 a month, something like that. And you get up to 10 devices. And what it is, it's accountability software. So uh, men in a church, you know, men's Bible study groups will do it. That's how it's presented at Promise Keepers. But they also mention, hey, when your kids become teenagers, especially if you have boys, dads, they're talking to the guys at this event, you might want to think about doing this with your sons. And so we've been doing that. And so what it does real, real simply is it has an algorithm and software. I'm, it's way above my head how it works. But um, it, it scans. You, you obviously opt into it. But it scans every all the activity on your phone or your devices, your laptop, tablet, what have you. We do all of it. And then it sends a report to your accountability partner. So my accountability partner right now is Jack, my son, right? And so he's 17. So he and I get a report of all the things that are on our phones or all of our devices once a week. If anything objectionable comes up, your accountability partner gets an immediate notice. I'm proud to tell you my son is... So Val, Mike Johnson has an app on his phone that he shares with his son, and it keeps, it would notify the other if the other one is watching porn. Weird. Weird. These people are weird, Val. And then on top of that, his uh, black son emerged this week, or at least the person he claims to have adopted, which he we found out a little bit more about him this week, has had perpetual legal problems out in L.A. 
he does say that Mike Johnson did help him do it through a rough patch in his teens, but he still didn't confirm that he was officially adopted by Mike Johnson. Uh, and then if you look at his record, he was constantly in and out of jail and constantly has been in and out of legal trouble, mainly over drugs. That's a whole nother matter. I, I just thought I would remind people who the new speaker is. He has a 17 year old accountability buddy on pornography and his uh, supposed adopted black son didn't turn out so well. So let's just leave that. that I, we won't even have to talk about that anymore. However, I do want to remind you, you're watching the deal. This is Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. It's Saturday, the 11th of November. And uh, you can always subscribe to us uh, on all the different podcast platforms. You can go to the deal with edclark.com. I'm working on a piece for today that I'll put out uh, later on today or tomorrow on uh, finally my feelings on the Middle East, Val. I've been, I've been, trying to ignore that as much as possible. Not ignore it, but not really say a lot about it. So uh, we didn't talk about it in our show prep, but I, I do want to ask you about it since I brought it up uh, before the segment ends. Uh, the, Hamas is sort of in a no-win situation here, right? Uh, the Israelis are not willing to uh, stop shooting. They did agree to some nominal ceasefire, but nothing significant. They, they say their aim is to completely destroy Hamas. What that means in real terms, Val, is that civilian Palestinians are going to die and have been dying. I did, right before we came on, I saw a news story about the hospital, the major hospital there in, in Gaza Strip, saying that they're done. They, they have no more supplies. Electricity has been off for a sustained period of time. They don't know what they're going to do. Uh, so tell me real quick, uh, what's, what's happening in, in Gaza and, and has our approach exacerbated the situation? Have we moved this thing along? Is there anywhere near a resolution there? I don't think we're anywhere near a resolution. And, and I think we ought to be clear on a couple of things here, Ed. Uh, one is what uh, Israel's primary objective is, uh, regardless of what they are saying and how they are posturing. Their primary objective is to destroy uh, and lim eliminate anybody who thinks that Israel doesn't have the right to exist, anybody who doesn't agree with the way Israel conducts their business, anybody who conjures up fear in the hearts and minds of Israelis. You know, that could be the entire Middle East. If you're going to go around saying, hey, th this guy is going to grow up to be a Hamas or Hezbollah-type soldier, or maybe his son might be if he ever have a son, so I might as well kill him now, and we'll stop that for generations to come. Uh, you can't let them do that. Israeli uh, people in general, and I hate to say this, and I'm not talking about Jews. I want to make a distinction here. I'm not talking about all Jews. I'm talking about the Zionists, these Israelis people who have a religious state in the Middle East. That's what it is. It's not a political state. It's a religious state. There are only two religious states on the planet. One is called the Vatican. And we know how that works and why. The other one is Israel. 
it is for and run by Jews. There is no state for Christians other than the Vatican. There is no state for Islam or Sikhs or Hindu or Buddhist. There's no state for that. These are religions. So this is what people in the Middle East really took umbrage with what the United States and, and Great Britain did in 1948 to put to take land that was owned by Palestinians, uproot them and send them someplace else and give that land to a to make a religious state of Israel. That's what happened here. The Palestinians did nothing to the, the Jews in Germany. Kristallnacht and all of those things that happened. Uh, Auschwitz, you know, Dachau, all of those places, all of the bad things that happened during the Holocaust and that kind of thing. The Palestinians had nothing to do with that. They didn't say the United States, bring them over here, I'll give them this land. It had nothing to do with that. The United States and Great Britain said, the Jews have told us that this is where they want to be because their Torah, their Bible has said, this is where they belong. So whoever is there, you got to go. And I'm giving this land. And now you want these people to love you. And you're afraid because the United States, you if, if you're a Zionist, you're afraid because the United States and Great Britain have put you there and now you're surrounded by all of these people who don't want you there. And you are so afraid you feel the only way you can feel safe is to kill everybody that don't like you. That is what you call perpetual war. And it will yeah. be that way until we do something about it. Uh, we did something about it in 1948. <laughs> this was a horrendous social engineering feat that we did to run somebody out of a land and give it to somebody else. That was social engineering. We can have another social engineering if we like, if we have the gumption, if we have the guts to do it. But I don't think we will. You won't see it in your lifetime, Ed, and you're younger than me. Well, no, I will not, Val. And and here's the other piece to it. And like I said, uh, I encourage people to read the piece that I'm working on. Uh, the main premise is that um, there there is no real sense that the U.S. wants a solution either. Uh, Israel, Israel, as is constituted now, is mainly a stopgap on having certain Muslim countries uh, have control of some strategic areas, right? And, and having Israel there kind of keeps everybody at bay and forces people like Saudi Arabia to come to the table because the Saudis don't like the Iranians because they're different kinds of Muslims. And, and, and I think we're so reductive in the way we talk about this, right? Everybody says, if you look, if you listen to all the American politicians who say they support the state of Israel, they always throw in, well, Iran is causing a problem, but they don't say anything about Saudi Arabia anymore because the Saudis have not shown any interest in wanting to support the Palestinians. The Saudis want to be rich. 
that's why they're paying for these uh, sports teams and buying these sports teams and all this other stuff. Because they know oil is going to run out at some point. They know that electric cars are going to take over. So the Saudis are in a different position. They're they're amenable and, and <laughs> willing to, to, to do something where the Iranians will continue to be our enemies because they're the enemies of the Saudis. But... The, that's a lot to get into, but we won't, we won't hold up the show because of it. We'll, we'll probably have to bring somebody expert on to talk about Shia, Shiism and Sunnis and, and the, and the uh, schism between those folks and why they're fighting and why Saudi Arabia is willing to throw Iran under the bus because they're enemies. So uh, I hear some music in my ear. So that means we need to take a break. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about election night. Uh, first Tuesday in November is always election day in the United States, no matter what year it is. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll explain that when we get back from the break. But there were some interesting results. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. Having diabetes means there's a lot you need to keep track of. Eating healthy, limiting sugary drinks, getting plenty of physical activity, checking your blood sugar throughout the day, and taking your medication. Oh, and balancing all of your other responsibilities too. Thankfully, there's help. Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support, or DSMES, can help you learn strategies to manage your diabetes so you can live a healthier life. DSMES services include a diabetes care and education specialist who works with you to develop a management plan that fits your lifestyle and cultural traditions. When you first find out that you have diabetes, during yearly follow-up visits with your doctor or when not meeting treatment targets, when complicating factors develop and when new situations or major life changes affect the way you take care of yourself. Managing blood sugar is key to living well with diabetes. Healthy eating, limiting sugary drinks, staying active, and finding solutions to address life challenges while living with diabetes are the best ways to manage blood sugar. Ohio, we did it! We did it! Um, it looks like this is going to, uh, the issue one is going to go down, we don't quite know, maybe 8 to 10 percent. After a contentious special election with a $20 million price tag, Ohio voters have rejected issue one. Good evening to everybody. Thanks for joining us for NBC 411. I'm Carrie Charles. And I'm Colleen Marshall. Issue one would have made it more difficult to amend the Ohio Constitution. Right now, with 94 percent of precincts in, the no vote stands at 56 percent. Yes vote stands at 44 percent. And so we and welcome back to our second segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. Uh, that's Val Atkinson there. It is Saturday, 11th of November. We're happy you decided to spend some time with us. We, first segment, we were talking about the impending budget uh, deadline, uh, November 17th, and whether or not uh, we're going to uh, have a deal cut to keep uh, to avert a government shutdown. Val says yes. So if you're betting in Vegas uh, and you put you lay that bet and it doesn't come out, you can see Val Atkinson about that. We also talk about the ongoing troubles in Gaza and, and the humanitarian crisis there. Uh, please read my piece on the 
on the dealwithedclark.com. It'll be there Sunday morning about how I feel about it. Uh, whether, whether or not you agree with me or not, I don't really care. Uh, that's not the point when I write my pieces. I try to come from a place that's informed and try to get you to think. So please uh, take a look at that. On the way back in, Val, I showed a clip about what happened on Tuesday night. And in the state of Virginia, guess what happened? The Ooh. Democrats, <laughs> the Democrats were able to take the House and the Senate. And this rising star, uh, Governor Yunkin, uh, thought that he was going to have complete control over the uh, legislature in Virginia. And now he will not. Now, uh, Virginia is just one state, but it's very important for a lot of reasons. It's kind of like the firewall on abortion. And we're going to talk about abortion, too, because it's the last of the southern states that still have uh, reasonable abortion laws. Uh, it's also a place where there's a lot of money. A lot of people who, who give money to a lot of corporations are in northern Virginia that give money to Democratic candidates nationally. You know, they're, they're based now in Northern Virginia. It's a very booming and burgeoning area. And, and, and like, like I said, they, they were able to stranglehold a Governor Yunkin, who everybody was saying, or a lot of people were saying, was going to be the savior for the Republicans, right? He was going to be uh, probably the next guy up in line in 2028. So, uh, Val, uh, you know some people from Virginia. I think you actually uh, lived in the Tidewater area uh, for a, a large part of your life. And you maybe even went to school in a little town called Norfolk. So tell us about what happened in Virginia and why it's important uh, what happened Tuesday night. Yeah, well, I, I did go to school in a little small town in uh, Virginia called Portsmouth. I went to uh, primary school there, secondary school. And because I was a homebody, didn't want to go too far. When it was time to go to college, I went right across the little Elizabeth River to a place called Norfolk State. And uh, so I have a lot of background there. I got family still in that area, tons and tons of friends that are still there. We have something, our sub-community uh, sub is called Brighton, Brighton in Portsmouth. And the first Saturday of each month, we get together for breakfast uh, at a uh, Cracker Barrel there in Chesapeake, Virginia. And I've never seen so many octogenarians in one place in my life. <laughs> We're all old now. And we all talk about things that old folks talk about. But yeah, I go way back. One of my buddies that I played high school ball with, uh, he is a friend of uh, the president pro temp of the uh, Virginia Senate. And she is a well-respected legislator. And uh, I called her because we attended high school together. I called her to congratulate her. And she had to put me on hold for a while before she could take my call. I learned that the reason she put me on hold, she was talking to two of her friend, lady friends, one by, I think you know both of them, Ed, one by the name of Nancy Pelosi and the other one was named Carmela Harris. So I think I took second seat to those two ladies 
<laughs> and I was glad to to have Senator Lucas uh, to call me back, uh, get back in contact with me and accept my congratulations for the victory in Virginia. But it was an awesome night. Uh, there were a lot of expectations not fulfilled on the GOP side, uh, a lot of pleasant surprises on the Democrat side. And uh, uh, according to people that I know in Virginia, uh, they are looking forward to great things to come. It's going to be this portends to spread to other locales, other states. So uh, I think the Democrats have reason uh, to be looking up after this particular race uh, that we had uh, last Tuesday. Yeah, you know, we had talked about North Carolina's gerrymandering uh, mess that the Republicans have created here and the potential uh, to wreak havoc, especially at the state legislative level and the General Assembly, uh, which now it looks like Virginia is going to be able to avoid. Uh, but North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and some other places where the Republicans have a stranglehold um, over the legislature, it, it doesn't look so good. However, there is one issue that seems to be helping the Democrats across the country is, is the whole notion of what's a reasonable uh, date that a woman could have abortion services. And, and throughout uh, the country, the Republicans have continually lost on that issue. In Ohio, they had a referendum that would codify some uh, abortion rights, and that passed. And, 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 and when you looked at counties that, that passed the legislation, even some that were overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, that measure won. Uh, can we make anything of it? Is it is it just that it's one of those crazy midterm election things where nobody comes to vote? Because if you look at the number of turnout in Ohio, I think there were a million four hundred thousand less than in the last uh, general election, right? And, and uh, that maybe people just stayed home and you know it it just didn't register with them. They didn't feel like it was that important. It, it doesn't really mean that the Democrats have a leg up. It means that the Republicans weren't energized. How do you read what happened in Ohio then? Well, some some politicians said the Democrats had uh, a couple of sexy issues on the ballot. Uh, they talked about the Dobbs decision or abortion and legalization of marijuana. And a lot of people came out because they were excited about these two things. Women came out because they were fearful of having Dobbs implemented in their particular states. Women and men came out because they had been pro-marijuana for umpteen years, just about since they were teenagers, some of them. Uh, and so this drove a lot of folks to the poll. Traditionally, uh, during a midterm election, we don't have the type of numbers that we would have in a general election. And traditionally, in a midterm election, you find that the party out of power, particularly out of power in the White House, is the party that normally picks up seats. So to have uh, uh, a legislature like Virginia to flip it uh, from Republican to Democrat uh, is really astounding. Uh, and Ohio did well. Uh, uh, 
the Kentucky did well in their gubernatorial election. Uh, so I think it was about the business of having sexy, sexy issues more so than just regular turnout. Yeah. And I think the issue of marijuana and the issue of abortion are going to be live and well next year in 2024 when we have our general elections for a national office and for state offices. And uh, I think that Republicans haven't figured that out yet. They think that people are going to forget about that and think about the race issues surrounding Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is here to protect my whiteness and my culture and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what they're banking on. Uh, but people are going to the polls now and says, no, uh, there are some things that are just as important, if not more so, than your whiteness. So we, there you we'll go. See, see at the polls. Yeah. Yeah. I want to remind you, you're listening to the deal. That's Val Atkinson uh, explaining to us why the Republicans got some trouble over the abortion issue. Um, and, and, and you did mention Kentucky. I do want to say a little bit about Kentucky because uh, Mitch McConnell is the senator there. Rand Paul is the other senator. Um, their House and Senate are controlled by Republicans, but Andy Brashear won. Uh, and and he was running against uh, a Negro candidate uh, for the Republicans. And, and the reason why I call him a Negro candidate, <clears throat> he's a throwback. He's he's a he's a black Republican, uh, uh, it, 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 and I'm not sure Val that these black Republicans who run for statewide office or even run for you know any federal office, when they lose, everybody around them white wins and then they lose. Why they haven't figured it out yet? That there's just a not a, a base of people on the Republican side that want a Negro. In office, e even though that e even if that Negro will supplicate himself to everything, and this guy Cameron, the the, the Attorney General, was a Trump sycophant to the point that it was nauseating. That 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 you know, uh, and and so Trump was com completely behind this guy, and he loses. Uh, we didn't talk about this before we came on, but. Is there a future for Mr. Cameron, or is he going to go the path of all the other Negroes uh, in on, in the Republican Party who get sat down after they realize that they can't win a statewide race like governor? He was he was attorney general, so he did win that, but he ain't going to be governor. He definitely ain't going to be president or vice president, is he? He's not going to be either of those things, Ed. It's a lesson to answer your question directly. It's a lesson that it seems that people have to learn themselves. You know, it, there used to be a time when you could learn things vicariously. You wouldn't have to go through it yourself. You see somebody else do it and you say, hey, I don't want to touch that stove. I saw him bring his hand back and it was all blistered and burnt. We don't seem to be able to do that. In North Carolina here, we have the same situation brewing, Ed. We have a lieutenant governor by the name of Robinson, uh, and he's up against Josh Stein, and all indications are that he's going to lose to Josh Stein. And uh, some of those people that uh, 
voted for him for uh, lieutenant governor. Uh, some of those people who are voting for other council of state members who happen to be Republican and white, they are voting for them, but they won't vote for him. I mean, when are you going to learn the lesson? They don't like you. They like you when they can control you. Voting you in as lieutenant governor is nothing because you have no power. They don't mind doing that. And by the way, the only reason they want you up there waving the MAGA and the Republican banner is not to attract Black voters to the Republican Party. They know that's a losing deal. They are using you to attract white liberals and progressives to the Republican Party, hoping some of these white progressives would say, you know, the Republicans ain't that bad. They voted for a black guy to be lieutenant governor. You know, they got black people at the rally. Look right to the left and immediately to the right of the speaker. You'll always find a white, a black guy at any GOP rally, you know? Uh, and that's why they're doing that. And you're, you're so stupid, you ain't figured it out yet. You believe yeah. that stuff that they really like you because they think you can win and you're different than the other Negroes. And they support you, and they're going to make you governor. Mm -hmm. But you got well, to learn that. Tim Scott's got to learn that. All of these guys got to learn that message. And I'm going to take a point of personal privilege here and bring up a subject that you haven't had. And I saw a glimpse of the debate the other night or the preparatory arrangements for the debate. And Tim Scott walks out on stage with his white girlfriend. And he's, I guess that's supposed to mean, well, you see, I'm not a closet homo. I actually have a girlfriend, and here she is. And I was reading the body language of both of those guys. She looked like she was one of his staffers, <laughs> and she acted like she was one of his staffers. They did not have any kind of touching, feeling kind of, they did not look like they were together at all. They may have been. And it may have just been me, but this guy has got a lot of work to do. Uh, maybe he can go to some of the relatives of Herman Cain and get some advice from them as to how do you come back from the dead? How do you be a Negro, a sycophant for Black-hating Republicans and still come back and be a Black man? How do you do that, Tim Scott? I don't know. Well, uh, you didn't see this, Val. I was playing the clip of uh, Tim Scott and his girlfriend as you were talking. So if, if you're lucky enough to actually see the pod, the video version of the podcast, you will see Tim Scott's supposed girlfriend. And again, whether she is or not, uh, I highly doubt it. But that's just me. And I'm glad you brought up the Republican debate because I feel like it's a waste of time. But if they want to do it, it's it's on them. Uh, what What's clear to me, to wrap that up then, since you brought it up, is that Nikki Haley is supposedly the reasonable one in the pack. She's still not palatable to the rest of the country. She's not even palatable to the rest of the Republicans. So it's an exercise in futility, and it looks like they're going to have a convicted felon as their nominee, unless something drastic happens. And uh, I hear music in my ear. 
So <laughs> that means we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the potentially convicted felon, Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and we also want to talk about young voters real quick. And then Eric Adams in New York may have some problems that I want to talk about, too. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this message. I was a technical sergeant, E6. I served in uh, Vietnam in 1969. I am a U.S. Army veteran. Have you ever helped a fellow veteran? Of course. Yes. Try to always be there for each other. I do my best reaching out to my brothers and sisters in arms. Have you ever asked for help yourself? Uh, it's always tough, right? Um, <laughs> um, I can't say that I have. I mean, if you don't have someone to kind of help you guide those thoughts, it can be really bad. Eventually, you know, you just can't deal with it on your own. I guess it's a part of the military too, right? Service before self. It was drilled in service before self. And you start to question, maybe people would be better off without me, you know? When you realize that, that you're not alone, once you take that first step, there's so much support. And welcome back to our third and final segment of the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. It's November the 11th. I'm still laughing because Val and I, we were we were talking about our our neighbor to the south, Tim Scott, and uh, his girlfriends. Uh, and and again, I I don't care what he what he does in his personal life. I think it's a it, it's sort of sort of short sighted on his part to think that bringing somebody out on stage at this point is going to lend uh, more support to his effort to become the Republican nominee, which brings me to uh, a subject that I do want to talk about. Uh, so we'll, we'll leave Tim Scott alone. I want to talk about young voters. And there was a couple exit polls I saw where not a lot of young people uh, voted across the board, but they did vote uh, in some significant numbers when abortion was you know, one of the key issues. However, there were some other polls earlier in the week that said that there's just no support almost for Joe Biden amongst young people. A lot of it over what's going on in the Middle East, but a lot of people saying, well, he's too old or he's not doing what he said he was going to do, whatever, blah, blah, blah. All at the same time, Val, the economy is fine. I saw I, I, when I pulled up the gas station this morning, gas was 276. Uh, uh, so it's under $3, uh, you, you know, uh, construction is just crazy. Uh, you know, I've been in DC, uh, nonstop for the last six weeks and construction is crazy in DC, Northern Virginia and, in Maryland in the suburbs, uh, in, in, in Richmond, uh, in Norfolk and Tidewater area and Raleigh and Greensboro and Charlotte and <laughs> Nashville, uh, Memphis, all the places I've been this year. Uh, uh, so I don't get this disconnect, this whole thing where they're doing these polls and saying that Joe Biden has uh, a very low approval rating and is Donald Trump may even be beating him in these battleground states. My take on it, Val, is that the media, which we're not a part of anymore in the traditional sense, right? That traditional media loves the horse race. They they want to see this as a conflict, and you know, will Joe Biden be able to overcome Donald Trump and whatever? Donald Trump is 
indicted 91 times. He is losing. He's already lost one federal, I mean, one state case in New York, and he's about to lose another case, the civil case. He's already lost. They're just trying to figure out what they're going to take away from him at this point. How the hell are we still here at this juncture (laughs) where we're talking about Joe Biden's approval rating? We are talking about Joe Biden's approval rating, Ed, simply because we have digressed to the point that we will accept any kind of poll from anybody about anything. And and one thing that, that I remember from poll taking and surveying and all those kinds of things, that the methodology is the key to whether the uh, poll is believable or not. I learned way back then, Ed, that the only kind of poll that I want to hear you talk about are something that's called representative polls. Now, what a representative poll, and I hope I don't get too far down in the weeds, but a representative poll is, is when you take, for an example, the the 4th Congressional District in North Carolina, and you take a look at the demographics, say 20% Black, uh, 65%, 70% White, uh, 10% something else White. And you make your poll subjects match that representation of that particular district, okay? And 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 go down and match the demographics as far as you can through race, gender, uh, education, uh, income, uh, or, or whether or not uh, people uh, have served in the military or not, since this is Veterans Day. You match the demographics as close as you can to the demographics of that particular district. And now when you do a survey, chances are you have really gotten to the meat of the problem and you are getting samples from those people that represent that district. Another type of representative survey or a poll is when you talk about people who have a long history of voting. In the polls, they call them likely voters. Well, uh, they're going to be a lot of first-time voters. How are you going to depict that? How are you going to uh, measure that? Uh, a lot of likely voters can't vote anymore because they have deceased. <laughs> you know, There are so many things wrong with these just average polling processes these blind polling processes that is catch as catch can. I don't even pay them any mind anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. You might as well go down to button a prisoner and take a poll down there. So who do they think the next mayor of Durham ought to be? And they can't vote in that election. It doesn't matter, Ed. People are putting too much uh, credence in polls that are being taken by people who are doing what we call push polling. They are determining the answers by the way they phrase the questions to the subjects. It's called push polling. And by the time they do all of that, they they skirt representation, they do push polling, and 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 they forget about demographics and geographics and all of those kinds of things. And then they come out with this poll saying, hey, 
Trump's leading Biden in all of the battleground states by double digits. I could do a poll doing the same thing, saying Val Atkins is going to hit the lottery 10 times in a row starting in January, right? Everybody else thinks I could go and, and, and make that happen if you want to believe it. So I know I went all around the barn to say this, Ed, that uh, people ought not get upset about polls. The only poll that matters is the one that's taken on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. Yeah. That's yeah. the only one that matters. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's a knock on it this foul. Uh, there's this guy in West Virginia that you really like. Uh, he says that he's not going to run for Senate anymore. So let's take a look Here's at that. a minute. But my dad said that he would support me running if I made a vow to serve all the people, friend or foe, and not just myself. That promise made to my dad all those years ago has been my guiding light. I've never cared about where good ideas came from, and I never blame one side for creating a problem, nor believe that only one side could fix them. When America is at her best, we get things done by putting country before party, working across the aisle and finding common ground. Many times this approach has landed me in hot water, but the fight to unite has been well worth it. Today, West Virginia is attracting more investment, opportunity and jobs than it has in decades. Here at home and across the country, we are building more roads, bridges, manufacturing plants and energy infrastructure than almost any time in America's history. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I have accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I have made one of the toughest decisions of my life and decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring in oh, your buddy Joe Manchin. Who has caused us a lot of consternation? I, I can I can say I don't care for him very much. I don't know him personally. I just know that he has caused much more trouble than he's been worth. He's he's walked around he and Kristen Cinema saying that they were Democrats and then refused to caucus with the Democrats at some important times when they really needed them. One of those important times would be to get rid of the filibuster. If they would just, you know, get in line with the rest of the Democrats. We, but they both say they don't want to do that. But finally, Joe Manchin says he's not going to run for Senate again. Why is he not running for Senate, Val? What what did he see uh, that said to him that he needed to hang this up? Well, I think he got tired of being pushed and pulled uh, by Democrats and uh, taken for granted by Republicans. And it, it was just too much on him and his family. And he just got tired of it. There was a, he was in a no-win situation because the constituency that put him in power in West Virginia, they put him there because they wanted a conservative kind of guy who wasn't, didn't take a lot of mess from people who looked like you and wasn't going to vote along with uh, progressives and liberals and that sort of thing. And that's the kind of guy they, they got. And now he just happened to be a Democrat. Right. Uh, but he he said he was caucusing with the Democrats, meaning that you could count him in terms of getting the majority so we could determine who the leader was going to be. But he was going to vote with his own mind 
and he wasn't going to vote with them for things like the filibuster to, and, and and stopping Rule 22 and things of that nature. Uh, I think he just got tired of it and it says, I'm, I'm going my way. One of the things he asked people way back when this thing first started, well, guys, if I'm causing problems, what do you want me to do? You want me to leave the uh, Democrat Party? I can leave the party tomorrow if you want me to. And they said, oh, no, don't do that. Don't, don't leave the Democratic Party because we don't have that margin advantage yet. Uh, and, and so he just got tired. He says, hey, if you, if, if you don't like the way I vote and that kind of thing, and I don't want to be a Republican, I'm, I'm going house, going to the house right yeah. now. Well, I'm glad he's going to the House. And the other thing I'm glad of is that the the Republicans put up such a bad candidate in Georgia uh, so that Raphael Warnock, <laughs> uh, you know, made it so that we didn't have to worry about Joe Manchin all the time and Kristen Sinema. But, um, you know, hey, uh, God bless him. Uh, hopefully uh, he can play with his grandkids or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm just glad that he's gone. I think he was much more troubled than he's worth. I hope he doesn't try to do this no labels thing that they were talking about, maybe putting up somebody as a third party candidate. Uh, I think a no labels candidate actually would probably help Joe Biden, depending on who it is. Right. Because we know that Hillary Clinton would have been president had it not been for the couple of thousands of votes in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania uh, for yeah, uh, Jill Stein. Uh, who I think was a plant from the Russians. Uh, now, I know that sounds cons conspiratorial, but just months before she decided to run, she was seen in Russia with Mike Flynn, who ended up being one of the people on <laughs> Donald Trump's staff. Why was she there? Nobody's ever explained why Jill Stein was in Russia at a dinner with Mike Flynn <laughs> or whatever. Could have just been happenstance, right? You know, coinkydink. But I, I think not. Uh, but the, and also back to the whole poll thing, if you believe polls, then Hillary Clinton would have been in, in her second term by now because the polls did not show Donald Trump winning, but it also didn't show Joe Biden winning the last time. So uh, let's, let's take those with a grain of salt. Before we run out of time, Val, I did see something interesting this morning. I saw that the federal, uh, F the FBI F took um, uh, Eric Adams' electronic devices. Eric Adams is the black uh, mayor of New York City. Uh, what, can you tell me anything about this story? Because it kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, well, uh, Eric Adams' staff, one of his staff workers uh, on the campaign fundraising side, uh, is being looked at by the authorities for some uh, work she's been doing uh, with with the Turks. And uh, they're concerned that it may not be all legal. No charges have been filed yet. Uh, they're just investigating right now. Uh, and uh, the investigation took a, another slight turn a few days, a couple of days ago when they went and got a warrant to search uh, the mayor's house and get his electronic devices and take them with them. And uh, you know what they're going to do with them because you're an IT guy. They're going to scour that. They'll find everything that's on there. Uh, and so Eric I, uh, Adams is not smiling so much lately. 
And only thing he said now is, I tell my staff to follow the law. Every question, he keeps saying that, I tell my staff to follow the law. And uh, I'm concerned his body language, his, his voice tone, everything says that he is not looking forward to what the FBI may find on those devices that they took uh, and what they, how they may mm -hmm. share that with the public. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Eric Adams, I uh, hope he doesn't turn out like uh, Mr. Kilpatrick uh, in, yeah. in, uh, in, Detroit. in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Kwame Kilpatrick actually spent some time uh, uh, in prison. <laughs> and it was pardoned by uh, Donald Trump, of all people. Get out of here. Uh, anyway, so Val, uh, before we run out of time, uh, again, I, I just want to mention, you know, Veterans Day, make sure that you thank uh, a veteran for their service and not not that, that sort of uh, platitude that a lot of uh, so-called right wing people do because they don't have anybody in their family that served. <laughs> or right. or they haven't or they haven't served themselves. It's it's like the guy who drives around his with his motorcycle with the POW MIA sticker, and and uh, he wasn't in Vietnam. All right, or they're going around stealing valor from other other folks. I mean, it happens uh, amongst those people a lot. Uh, uh, it, it's the same kind of guys that end up being a police officer uh, who over police or whatever. You know. Um, but, but again, think a real veteran and, and also, uh, you know, uh, if you got somebody serving, make sure you call and check on them and that kind of thing. Uh, it, like I always do, Val, I ask you, uh, well, first, did you go get something free today? Because, you know, they give veterans stuff free on <laughs> Veterans Day. And then and, and you got anything else you want to talk about before we leave? Well, I didn't go get anything free because I had I was I had a lot of chores to do around the house. My wife wasn't playing this thing that is Veterans Day and you can have the day off. <laughs> I didn't get any time off, but I didn't make it out to get anything done. And I don't know if I will or not, but uh, I normally use Veteran Day to call as many of my old Army buddies as I can think of and just to say hi and how you doing and that sort of thing. Uh, and we uh, we uh, talk for a couple of minutes and then I call the next guy. So that's how I celebrate Veterans Day. And I would ask folks, if you want to say something about thank you for your service, please don't say it to me. I don't like that anymore. If you want to thank me for my service, convince your son, your nephew, your niece, your daughter, uh, your grandchild, whomever, to go down and join the military. We don't have a draft anymore. You got to join up. It's voluntary. Convince somebody that's close to you to go join the military. And then you convince me that you are honest and truthful when you said thank you for your service. But there you go. You can't cuss a lot of times. They just want other people's children to go, other people's nephews oh, yeah. and nieces, you know. So uh, I think that's a good thing. But anyway, Val, we're out of time. So uh, as I always do, I always say uh, go out and do something good for somebody today, but uh, particularly do something for a veteran if you can, if somebody, if you know an older veteran that needs uh some help uh, with anything. Make sure you're looking after them. In the meantime, come back with us uh, next time for another edition of The Deal. Thanks a lot. Bye.